The feds and the province promise to protect more wilderness areas in Newfoundland and Labrador, but can we believe them? I'm Glenn Wheeler, and this is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land, and water. This is episode 220, made possible with listener support. Become a patron at patreon.com slash Matters. Later in the show, we'll get an update on the showdown between land defenders and Cornerbrook Pulp and Paper over the preservation of the ancestral Mi'kmaq lands known as Charlie's Place. But first, don't feel bad if you missed this very important announcement last month. The news release came on the same day that Ottawa gave the okay for the Bay du Nord offshore oil development, widely condemned for making a joke out of Canada's carbon reduction commitments. Perhaps in a bid to retain some eco-credibility, the feds and the province offered a long list of conservation promises, a national park for the Burjo area, an Eagle River watershed protected area in Labrador, study for a South Coast Fjords National Marine Conservation Area, and habitat protection. Well, pardon our skepticism. Newfoundland and Labrador has one of the worst wilderness conservation records in the country. Less than 7% of our land is protected. At this very moment, the province's Wilderness Advisory Committee, known as WIRAC, sits in limbo without anyone appointed to it by the province. Much talk, but little action. So what to make of this latest announcement? We spoke with Piers Evans, Program Director for Newfoundland and Labrador for the Nature Conservancy of Canada. Okay, Piers, uh, great to have you on the program uh, to talk about this welcome announcement, um, uh, I guess, even though it didn't get a lot of prominence at the time. Um, but um, anything that... Uh, preserve his wilderness land in Newfoundland and Labrador is a good thing. And um, for listeners who might not be familiar with the Nature Conservancy of Canada, it's a, you are a charitable organization and you operate what we might understand as a land trust. People give you land worthy of conservation and you buy land. And I think in the province, you have about 5,600 hectares at the moment. Uh, Yeah, you're absolutely right about that, um, on all counts. Mm -hmm. And for listeners, uh, we offer a a bit of small print. The Nature Conservancy of Canada receives from time to time financial support from the Federal Department of Environment and Climate Change and also from the the province. Um, But Pierce, um, let's start looking at the record uh, in Newfoundland and Labrador in terms of wilderness conservation. We're not doing that well. It's true. We're, uh, we're, I think, at a tally of a little under 7% of our total landmass in the province that is protected or conserved in some way. 
uh, which is uh, a pretty far cry from our kind of stated national goal of 30 by 30. So 30% of land and sea uh, conserved or protected in some way by 2030. Um, that's going to be a fairly steep hill to climb, uh, which is why this announcement uh, from April 6 between the federal and provincial governments uh, was uh, was a welcome one. Uh, we're, we're quite excited to see uh, some commitments, some of which have dates associated with them, which is great. Um, uh, and, a, you know, a, a stated commitment in several places on, on almost all of these kind of specific actions um, to partner with and work in conjunction with uh, Indigenous communities throughout the province. Mm. Now, how does that uh, 7%, uh, of course, that's also much less than the international standard. And uh, how does it compare with other provinces in the country? that somewhat less than 7%. Yeah, we're not, uh, I don't think we're dead last among the provinces, but we're near the bottom. Uh, mm. So uh, we've, there has been some movement in recent years, uh, the release of the long awaited protected areas plan for the island of Newfoundland uh, was, uh, that happened in 2020. Uh, it was closely followed by a public engagement process, which saw uh, you know, mixed support in some areas of the province and, and stronger support in, in other areas. Uh, but we are again seeing, a, you know, a bit of delay between kind of the first round public engagement and the second round. And, and we're, we're really hoping to see that get back on track. And for, you know, a similar plan to um, maybe start uh, getting into the works for Labrador. Mm. Well, uh it's interesting you mention uh, WIRAC, um, as it's uh, commonly known, because, um, as you say, the plan was announced in uh, 2020, but currently there are no members of uh, WIRAC because the province hasn't uh, got around to appointing anyone yet. So we don't know if the, the former people who are on and want to be back on will get back on or what's in the uh, works for that. So it's, a, um, I guess, a somewhat uh, unusual unusual moment. Um, now, um, I think, um, uh, and one, one thing you noted uh, in one of the interviews about this is that uh, we look on TV and see programs about the Amazon and, uh, you know, and tut tut and are shocked at what's going on down there. But closer to home, we don't have as much a regard for our own biodiversity. So um, how, how do you explain that? Why do we get so so concerned about elsewhere, but uh, seem to have less concern about uh, our wilderness backyard? Yeah, well, there's no doubt that, you know, the, the biodiversity of the Amazon rainforest or, you know, some of the tropical belt uh, equatorial regions of the world are unparalleled. You know, the, the species diversity is, is just uh, incredible. Uh, but I would maybe counter the line of thinking that that biodiversity is more valuable by just saying that biodiversity matters no matter where it exists. Uh, and we have some very unique biodiversity right here in the province that, uh, that we really do need to uh, be aware of uh, and cherish for, um, for what it is. You know, we have, we have species in this province that exist nowhere else in the world. Uh, you know, there's, there's uh, uh, ecosystems that are unique. They're maybe not as um, uh, sexy, if I can use the word, as a tropical mm. rainforest. You know, when you're talking about uh, ecosystems like the limestone barrens, 
um, they can maybe look to some uh, to be a little bit bleak, uh, but uh, there are species like Longsbrea uh, that exist there and nowhere else. Uh, and they, in some ways, maybe represent sort of the spirit of uh, people in Newfoundland and Labrador. You know, they cling to a, a very harsh place and they make it their home. Uh, and that's the only place where they uh, they exist. And maybe there's some commonalities that uh, that people in this province can find with species like Longsbrea, um, where, you know, we also occupy the same. Can we share that kind of harsh place in the North Atlantic? So I think there's there's biodiversity here that that people, you know, if they take a closer look at and take a moment to think about um, would really find very valuable and very uh, unique here. Yes. Uh, I think the other maybe one of the other factors is that uh, a lot of these wilderness areas are, you know, they're wetlands. Um, what uh, people years ago might have dismissed as being bog. Uh, why is that so special bog? And uh, it's kind of devalued because it's um, quote unquote bog. I guess it has, uh, we're using this word, wet, the fancy name for it now, but um, I wonder if, uh, if uh, perhaps uh, some of these areas are dismissed because of their uh, limited commercial value and therefore aren't as considered as valuable generally. Um, hmm. What do you yeah. think of that? Yeah, and and you know they've beyond calling the bog, you know they've often in other places been called you know wastelands or moorland or or what have you, uh, and it's primarily I think it comes from you know a bit of a maybe Eurocentric point of view of them not being productive agricultural lands or forestry lands like you say, and you know, they're they're not um, lands that can kind of make anybody any money. Um, increasingly, though. Uh, today, as we kind of face down the twin crises of biodiversity, rapid biodiversity loss and climate change, uh, places like bogs and other kinds of wetlands are, uh, they sort of sit right in the middle of that Venn diagram of what we need to preserve in order to um, slow climate change and biodiversity loss. Um, wetlands are incredibly rich, diverse ecosystems. Um, they support a really wide variety of life. They kind of punch above their weight in terms of, of um, uh, habitat diversity for a number of different species. Uh, and they also traditionally are great carbon sinks, uh, bog in particular, peatlands. Um, they take hundreds of years to develop and they uh, store uh, quite, a, quite a vast amount of carbon um, uh, in you know in the accumulated peat uh, that that doesn't kind of that breaks down very slowly, so they're you know they're preserving wetlands is is an act of slowing conservation or uh, slowing uh, climate change and biodiversity loss. Mm. So we have this uh, we have this very ambitious announcement, um, uh, and um, I guess if. Um, Canada were to meet its goals uh, in Newfoundland, it would mean um, four times as much protected area in eight years uh, by uh, 2030. So we're not sure that's that's going to happen. But what should we look for now? We have these this uh, this news release, and um, so what would you see as the as the timelines? What we what would we expect to see happen? Uh, what should we be looking for to see that this is a, 
a real thing rather than just a media release. Mm -hmm. Well, um, like you say, this media release got a bit of muted attention uh, when it when it did come out. Um, it would be great to see uh, a few things happen uh, around, you know, the reconstitution of the Wilderness and Ecological Reserves Advisory Council, the Weir Act Council. Um, there's one action item you know, in this news release that itself has a date on it, you know, the establishment of uh, an Eagle River watershed protected area uh, in consultation with Indigenous communities by 2025. So I would say that there's, um, you know, that's a fairly, that's going to happen fairly soon. Uh, and so there's going to have to be some really meaningful conversations happening between uh, the provincial governments and the relevant uh, Labrador Indigenous communities uh, to see that happen in that time frame. Um, you know, if that if the original news release is, is kind of any guide to go by back in, in 2010 when this uh, Eagle River watershed protected area was uh, originally proposed, that's going to be a, a 3,000 square kilometer protected area, which is, um, you know, we live in a big province. It's still a big uh, protected area, but um, we need to do more. So um, some of the uh, some of the other things are going to have to be agreements signed. Um, uh, to negotiate these MOUs for new marine protected areas in Labrador uh, and the south coast of the island. Um, I think there's going to have to be some very, um, uh, very big, very open, very transparent discussions happening about making these, uh, making these things happen uh, sooner rather than later. So we're looking forward to kind of seeing this kind of get a little bit more daylight on it. Mm. Well, and what about... Uh... Uh, development activities in these uh, areas. Does anything happen to freeze um, uh, activity of that sort uh, while these things are being worked out? Because we know that a new Newfoundland on the island in particular right now, there's a lot of mining activity. There's mm -hmm. um, a wind farm development being talked about for the South Coast. So are all those things frozen while these things are worked out? Or what is the interplay between proposed commercial activities and, and this preservation? Yeah, so for the marine protected areas, I mean, that's federal jurisdiction. Uh, so that would be up to the federal government to, um, if they're looking at certain areas um, and they, if there's uh, sort of a, a, a interim reserve um, established in, in a marine area, then that uh, would mean that uh, any existing um, other interests, private interests, uh, would have to be dealt with in some way. Uh, NCC has participated in um, uh, assisting to establish marine protected areas uh, in, in the north of the country by uh, purchasing out uh, uh, subsea drilling rights from Shell uh, in the Arctic Ocean uh, to help protect, uh, protect um, I can't remember the area now, but it was a, it was a huge area of, um, uh, of the marine environment uh, in, in the Arctic Cordillera. Um, there's a few... <clears throat> There's a few uh, protected areas or, or preliminary protected areas on the island is associated with that natural area systems plan or sorry, the protected areas plan for, for Newfoundland. Uh, and when we have those sort of interim reserves uh, that exists on the provincial uh, crown land mapping, um, uh, any kind of proposed commercial activities in those areas is run past the provincial wildlife department natural areas departments or divisions 
um, and uh, a number of other sort of government, uh, provincial government departments, and uh, and often the any kind of development, proposed development in those um, interim reserves um, is is quite restricted as those areas are on their way to receiving full protected status. So, I would say that um, uh, to uh, establish new, particularly terrestrial protected areas. Um, uh, there needs to be there, there needs to be some action happening on that soon because as you're you're right that you know the the mining activity the the mineral claim map of the island is getting fairly busy mm-hmm. uh, so um, otherwise the provincial government might be if there's delay they might be setting themselves up for uh, having to compensate people who have invested in uh, making a mineral claim or uh, purchasing timber harvesting rights or uh, crown land applications or what have you. Uh, so there are a number of sort of, uh, there's a variety of land use interests that need to be kind of dealt with when when those um, uh, particularly terrestrial uh, protected areas are created. Uh, and often enough, whenever um, marine protected areas are, are created as well. Hmm. So time is of the essence in more ways than one, just in terms of climate change, but uh, the uh, the commercial angle also. Great, Piers. Well, thanks very much for uh, talking uh, with us about this, and um, we'll keep our eyes peeled about uh, what happens next. Well, so will we, and thanks very much for having me. We were speaking with Piers Evans, Program Director for Newfoundland and Labrador for the Nature Conservancy of Canada. While the feds and the province are promising big things regarding land and marine conservation, We're right in the middle of a battle to save a very important bit of land in central Newfoundland. Charlie's Place, an area occupied by Mi'kmaq people for hundreds of years and the location of burial grounds. Cornerbrook Pulp and Paper wants to log the area, sparking an outcry from a coalition of Mi'kmaq bands, town councils, and environmentalists. And land defenders have applied for their own Mi'kmaq-led conservation area under a program called Indigenous Protected and Conserved Areas, or IPCAs. We get the latest from land defender Justin Hodge. So, Justin, uh, you were scheduled to have a meeting this past week with Cornerbrook Pulp and Paper, and then the night before, the meeting was cancelled by Cornerbrook Pulp and Paper. So, can you give us an update on what uh, you figured out uh, since where things stand? Yes, Glenn. Uh, we had a meeting planned for... Yeah, that was a short term. Uh, finally got everybody together. Now it was going to be, uh, going to have the deputy minister there, uh, Chief Mitchell, uh, Calvin, Francis, uh, two members from Cornbrook Pulp and Paper, and, uh, and myself, of course, on uh, via Zoom meeting. So uh, that was going to be scheduled for Friday at 2, I think it was. Anyway, the, uh, we got a cancellation uh, less than 24 hours, which is typical style, but uh, from Cornbrook Pulp and Paper, but we never really got a hard, any hard feedback of, of why uh, of the cancellation. So upon the, the information, then I contacted uh, uh, Joanne Sweeney. Now she's the deputy, uh, assistant deputy minister with uh, environment and climate change. So you know she informed me that uh, you know which we did expect that uh, Cornbrook went ahead and uh, uh, submitted their uh, stakeholder and engagement report, which was. Clearly not supposed to be done until we were finished the negotiation process, right? And and so and what was what would that mean? Is, does that indicate that Cornerbrook Pulp and Paper 
feels that it's done the stakeholder engagement that's needed to be done and they can they're done with that and they can move on or how how do you read that uh, that uh, statement from Cornbrook Pulp and Paper? Yes, exactly, ma'am. Well, what they've uh, this is actually the second time they've uh, they tried this because uh, I think it was after our second meeting. Uh, I guess they felt that they weren't getting nowhere with us because we wanted to get up and get heard. You know, nobody would listen to us, to us, to our claims, and to the Aboriginal aspect, and to, you know, the fresh water. And we just wanted to get uh, get our point across first before we started to sit there at the negotiating table. So, of course, now they uh, they submitted one behind our back. Well, wasn't behind our back until we found out, but I guess it was. But anyway, uh, that one was denied because government felt that it wasn't soon enough or it was too soon, you know, because we were just at the beginning of this process. So I'm not sure now how this one is going to be viewed, uh, still being uh, reviewed. So we got a few tricks up our sleeves yet with the uh, this latest news now with the Forest uh, Stewardship Council and uh, Principles 3 and 9 and stuff. So we're just waiting, to, sitting back now, waiting until Monday or Tuesday, I guess, to see what the see what see what see what rolls out for us next. And and did Joanne Sweeney um, say that uh, the province would uh, approve the stakeholder? engagement report that Cornerbrook Pulp and Paper put in? Because I guess the province would have to give it the thumbs up. The province would say have to say whether it was adequate or not, the stakeholder engagement. Yes, now she did no, no indication. I guess it hasn't been reviewed. Now, uh, there is another meeting in the works. Uh, you know, I was uh, there last, actually yesterday, to see our MHA, uh, Mr. Haggy, uh, Dr. Hagee, and uh, actually I got to see his secretary, and she, he, we're working with a meeting now with him, and he's trying on our behalf to get the minister to sit down with us as well to review these maps, because Glenn, we're, we've been more than reasonable with this process, like, like I mentioned before to you, uh, you know, respectable and peaceful, and, and you know, we, we've, we've sat down and uh, we've given up 54 kilometers of Charlie's Place, which is almost half of the entire area. And, and you know, didn't for for them to come at a, at a three days uh, later meeting and come back with another totally different map showing their interests over in our area. That uh, you know, all Charlie's place is dear to us, but you know, you're talking the the trap lines. This is where Charlie landed on this east side. This is where or west side. This is where the burial sites are. This is where our habitat is. This is where the ponds. You know, this is this is. We expect we had to give up some, but for them to come back and want the other half, and that's uh, just. Unreasonable. Hmm. Now, Justin, let me ask you about something else. Uh, while all this is going on, you've put in a an application for an Indigenous Protected and Conserved Area, an IPCA, and this is a, a thing we're hearing about more. It's been around for some years, I understand, but we're hearing more, more about it lately. And this is where Indigenous governments uh, themselves can... Um, can make arrangements uh, for to have areas protected, not only the province or the provincial government, but indigenous uh, bands, First Nations themselves can uh, can get their own uh, protected areas. So you've put in an application for an IPCA for Charlie's Place through uh, the Gander Bay First Nation and Glenwood First Nation. So tell us um, tell us where where that's at and how you're thinking that will unfold in terms of timelines, et cetera. Well, of course, now, Glenn, this is uh, IPCA now would be from the uh, federal government, so that had to go to, uh, we submitted that, well, we submitted it to uh, pretty much every uh, 
every branch of the Environment and Climate Change Division, uh, plus uh, most of the ministers. But it's gone through uh, Stephen Gilbert's uh, office uh, uh, for the minister of uh, he's the uh, federal minister. So uh, yeah, like anything else, now we haven't had any replies. I guess it's a lengthy process, but. Uh, uh, with our application sent into WERAC uh, before the way before the release of the environmental assessment that should have been reviewed, but WERAC is not, still not sitting. But they, good news, they do have approval to reform the council, so they're going to be back in action here now for the province, and that they are looking for IPCAs as well. So I think, and I'm not kind of wood here, but we're going to hope that. With them looking at looking for IPCAs in the province, and with us submitting one well in advance, and our and our Wear Act submission already in there for team last June, uh, almost a year now. So, so you know, hopefully, with the, and, and with the funding uh, once again, Glenn, with the funding there available. So, you know, all of our ducks are in a row. It's just a matter of, of finding out what Cornerbrook Bottom Papers uh, is grip grip is on this uh, on this block of land up there, right? Mm. So your your application for an IPCA would it include all of Charlie's Place or the part that you're trying to protect from logging by Cornerbrook Pulp and Paper? Oh no, that would include our 110 perimeter between the Northwest Southwest River and the, yeah, the whole entire one is outlined in in purple purple boundary, 110 clicks, yeah, 110 yes. hmm. square. Yeah. Good, Justin. Well, um, it's uh, we might. Uh, we might hear something else next week, depending on um, how things unfold. So uh, keep us posted. Yes, hopefully now, like you say, we're, uh, uh, you know, what everybody's wondering here, Glenn, just to add very, very quick here, you know, it, a lot of people in the community have got their businesses, small businesses, be, yeah, you have to be real big businesses or stuff. But, you know, if you're a business person, you're a business person. And, and of course, Cornerbrook being a, a very uh, big business with the, a very lengthy track record, and, and, and you know they want to look good. They're a member of this force uh, stewardship council, which is not an easy thing to obtain. You know, you get their sticker, you get their stamp of all your products, and that really gives you an environmental uh, foot up on everybody else because you're, you know, this is sustained wood and sustained timber, and it's come from, uh, you know, right. This protected. is a good practices. Uh, this is a best practices uh, standard for the forestry industry. So uh, it, it it's pulp and paper company saying we're doing good. By being members yeah. of this of this uh, forest uh, stewardship council, yeah, and like you say, and and to blankly ignore like uh, these principles, is, you know, I'm not going to go into it, but you know, there's there's 13 or so principles, and you know, principle three, I tell you, you know, this uh, all would do with Aboriginal, and uh, you know, there's a, there's a free prior and informed consent ethic, and all this stuff got to be done, you know, even if there's a, not only if there's a footprint in there of, uh, of, of, uh, of cultural significance or anything, but uh, especially with 200 years when, you know, and with all of our proof and stuff and the mm. environmental uh, the catastrophe going on in there and uh, the burial sites. And But my question is, and what everybody else's question is to Cornbrook Pulp Paper, is, is with their stake, with their, with their stakeholders, with their shareholders, and their, their, obviously their customers overseas, you know, once they find out where this paper is coming from, you know, who's going to want to buy pieces or, or newsprint, uh, Glenn, that's, you know, stained with the blood or tears mm-hmm. or, or, or of Aboriginal people with occupation there, and still to this day, and, uh, you know, it's income for the, for the people. You know, how much is that piece, how much is that paperwork? You mm-hmm. know, it's just crazy, crazy mm-hmm. to think about. Land defender Justin Hodge.
and that interview took place on Saturday, May 28th. That's it for the program. Thanks for listening, and if you could leave a positive review on whatever platform you get us, we'd really appreciate it. Allison Baker is the producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. I'm Glenn Wheeler. I'm Sidney